Good morning. This morning we are continuing our series on first things found in the Bible. So far we've studied God's preeminence, creation, and marriage. And today we're looking at the topic of God's Word. Now giving one sermon on God's Word is, feels a little like saying we're going to climb Mount Everest in one day. It's not possible. It's too big. Now I have not climbed Mount Everest, but I have flown over the Himalayas. And it created in me a desire to see more. And that's what I hope happens today. That as we contemplate the wonder and the magnitude of God's word, that God creates in us a deeper hunger to know him through his word. So please take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 19. And while we're only going to look specifically at three of the verses and touch on a few others, I'm going to read the entire psalm. And if you're physically able, I'd ask that you would stand out of honor and respect for God and his word as we read it. Psalm 19, beginning at verse 1. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In him he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you that you give us your word. We pray, Lord, that this morning your will would be done, that your strength and your power would be evident, that your name would be praised, that your people would be blessed, and that your word would go forth for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And please be seated. So we're looking at Psalm 19. It is a psalm of praise to God. Uh, In it, David, who wrote it, 
deals with the true nature of Scripture and its function. And this psalm is a good example of Hebrew poetic parallelism. In verses 7 through 9, there are six parallel statements, each containing uh, six names for God's word, six descriptions for God's word, and six uh, statements of what the Bible does. Now, lest you wonder, Psalm 19 was not written somewhere in an ivory tower by someone who could not relate. David understood the heights and the depths of human emotion. He experienced immense joy and crushing sadness. He felt the weight of his own sin and the release of forgiveness. He felt the coldness of the enemy hunting him down, and he felt the warm embrace of a friend. He knew what it was like to have a messed up marriage and to have a fractured family life. And he cried out to God both in praise and in anguish. And through it all, he found complete sufficiency in the word of God. And may we as well. In Psalm 19, as we look at it, I want to make three simple, interconnected declarations about the word of God. And the first is that God has spoken. It is clear in scripture that God is a communicating God. He has revealed himself, he has revealed his purposes and his plans. And Psalm 19 begins by showing us how God's glory is seen uh, in creation. In verse 1, the heavens are telling the glory of God. If you woke up early this morning, you saw the sun break through uh, over Saddleback Mountain. A beautiful sight to behold. And my first thought, I was having a good morning, was praise God. But then the idea of God's works declaring his greatness points us to our need for his written revelation. Makes us aware of his uh, special revelation and our need for it. And so in verses 7 through 9, we see uh, six names for God's word. And the first name is the law, the law of the Lord. In Hebrew, that word is Torah. It means teaching. It signifies God's teaching. So right from the beginning, if you think in, in terms of the beginning of creation, and you think of Genesis chapter 1, God is speaking. He is teaching. He is instructing. In, in, verse, in chapter 1 of the first, verse, uh, first chapter of the Bible, we see, then God said, repeated ten times. He's a powerful communicator. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, we read, Then God said, let there be light. God willed it, and there was light. Think of the power that is in God's word. That by his word, he spoke the universe into existence. He spoke, and it was so. The next name we see for the word of God is testimony. The testimony of the Lord in verse 7. It means it's, it's God's witness. God is testifying about himself in scripture. He's testifying about us and our true condition. And he's testifying about the world. As God who knows everything and sees all, he is then speaking as an eyewitness, uh, uh, describing himself and his creation. The next name is precepts. The precepts of the Lord. These are God's guidelines, his principles. You know, he knows our precise condition. The condition of, of each one of us in terms of our life, in terms of our soul, as we walked in this, in this room this morning, just several minutes ago. God knows our precise condition, therefore he can speak precisely to it. 
he gives us what he wants us to know and to obey. That every truth we need and need to believe as a follower of Jesus originates in God's word and in no other place. The next name we see is commandments. The commandments of the Lord in verse 8. These are God's instructions. And it signifies his authority. His authority as God. Scripture is higher than all other truth. It's the highest and most supreme authority on any matter in which, to which it speaks. Next we see a, a, a very interesting word for the word of God. The fear of the Lord. And that is what inspires our worship of God. It points to God's holiness that inspires our awe, our respect, and our, our reverence for him and for his, what he says. Uh, it describes God's word by the effect it has upon those who respond to it. If you think about the last few verses of this psalm, uh, it shows this example of a godly response to the word of God, uh, where, where David speaks of his errors, his, his sins, as well as asking God, uh, to make sure that those do not rule over him. Now, the last name for the word of God is judgments. And that means God's verdicts. It pictures God as the judge, at ruling from the bench. The verdicts of the judge of the whole earth. It's the divine evaluation of our thoughts and of our actions. Now, these six names for God's word all include the phrase, of the Lord, the law of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. They also portray, each one of them, Scripture as something to be obeyed. Uh, now, what do those things show us? It shows us that the Scriptures are the very Word of God, the very words from God, that the Bible is the ultimate authority for our faith and for our life. Now, the chief theological issue of the Reformation was justification by faith alone. But the underlying question was one of authority. By what authority do we know that teaching? And so the idea of sola scriptura uh, became uh, one of uh, what would, would have been called the formal principle of the Reformation, that the sufficiency of scripture is acknowledged, that it is our supreme authority in all spiritual matters. Now think about scripture. Scripture is completely unique as God-breathed revelation. All the truth necessary for our salvation and for our spiritual life is found right here in this book. I remember when I was a young college student, I was a young believer at the time in, the, in about 1983, and I remember sitting in a class at Long Beach State with my Bible on the shelf underneath my desk. And I somehow must have dropped my pencil or something. I looked down and I saw my Bible. And the thought occurred to me, my entire life is wrapped up in that book. My entire life, for the rest of my life, is wrapped up in this book. Now, there was a time in my life that I mocked the Word of God, and I mocked those who, who held to it. When I was at Downey High School as a... As a um, as a high school student, I remember walking by a group of students uh, sitting in a circle singing songs with books in their hands at lunchtime and thinking, what a bunch of freaks. What are they doing and why would they waste their time at lunch reading the Bible? I remember distinctly uh, walking by that group and not saying something out loud, but inside 
deriding them, uh, mocking them. I also remember when I was in college, when I was a new believer, one of my professors mocking me because I believed the Bible. Funny. It's nothing new. In fact, it's been happening ever since Satan challenged the Word of God in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. When Eve said, well, here's what God said to us. And Satan's reply was, has God really said that? Calling into question the word of God. Yes, he has spoken. God has spoken. Now, the second declaration is God has spoken truth. Yes, God has spoken. And when he spoke, he spoke truth. Now, God is a purposeful communicator. He spoke He had something important to say, and as we see, his truth is supreme. It is peerless. Everything God said was good. And in Psalm 19, verses 7 through 9, we also see six descriptions of the word of God. The first description is that it's perfect. That means that it's complete, that it's blameless, that it has no weakness. It literally means that it is all-sided so as to cover completely All aspects of something. There are many important issues uh, to which Scripture does not speak. But everything necessary, everything binding on our consciences, and everything God requires of us is seen and taught in Scripture. It covers every aspect of life. No matter what our sins have been or what problems we have, God uses His Word to, to turn us from them and to lead us through them, through our problems. God's word is perfect. God's word is also sure. In verse 7, it means immovable. It means unwavering, eternal. First Peter speaks of the word of God and says that it is permanent, it is imperishable, it is enduring. Now this word sure comes from a root word meaning support. The other day I was talking to one of my kids and they were leaning upon something and I said, don't lean on that, it might break. Whatever they were leaning on was wobbly. It's probably one of our chairs. It was fragile. But the word of God is not like that. In fact, uh, the great preacher Charles Spurgeon used to say, Scripture is like a lion. Whoever heard of defending a lion, just let it loose. It'll defend itself. The scripture is also right, as we see in verse 8. Now that means straight versus crooked. It's, It's conscientious. It leads us on the true path. It doesn't lead us astray. It gives us right guidance, as we see in Psalm 119. Interestingly, Psalm 119 fleshes out much of what these three verses we're looking at, says. Psalm 19, verse 105, that we sang, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. God's word is also pure. And that means that it's clear, that it's not confusing, that it's understandable. By the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit-indwelled believers can understand the word of God. In John chapter 15, excuse me, John chapter 14, we read in verse 26, Jesus' words, but the helper, 
the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That type of idea is repeated several times. God's word is understandable. It is not confusing. Now often we might say, hey, well, I'm, uh, I can't understand the Bible. You've got to ask yourself two questions. One, am I a born-again believer in Jesus? Because if you're not, you won't be able to understand the Bible. Secondly, is there something going on in my life that is hindering God speaking to me? Another, name, another description of God's word is that it is clean in verse 9. Now that means the absence of any impurity or any imperfection. It, it really gives the picture of a perfect diamond. Perfect clarity without flaw. And then we also see in verse 9 that God's word is true. Which means just what we would think it means. Completely accurate. It means literally to be firm or to be faithful. That it's always dependable, always relevant, always applicable. That scripture is in a class by itself. And that Jesus himself, in John 17, as he prayed to the Father, said, sanctify them. Speaking of, of us, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. The third declaration is that God has spoken truth we need. Yes, God has spoken. Yes, God has spoken truth. And God has spoken truth we need every day of our lives, every moment of our life. In verses 7 through 9, we also see six things that God's word does, how it operates. The first thing we see is that God's word restores the soul in verse 7. What that means is that it turns back or makes something return. It literally means to bring back to life. To bring something that was dead back to life. To restore something to usefulness. Now many people, in fact many among us, are probably into restoring things. Whether that is old cars or antiques or what have you. But what you do is you subject those things and yourself to a complicated intricate process that is sometimes painful but at the when it comes through to the end result it brings it back and restores it to an almost brand new condition we were driving here this morning i said to my kids look at that car coming up the off ramp and it was like uh, up the on ramp <laughs> and it was a uh, an old you know packard from the 30s at least that's what i thought it was from I, had to, I was looking from under a semi. There was a semi between us. so My son could have told you exactly what car it was, actually. But on a much more important scale, God's word is able to restore our souls to usefulness. Isn't that good news? Some of us walked in here this morning feeling pretty unusable. Some of us walked in here this morning feeling pretty dejected or dis- and discouraged. God is able, through his word, to to bring us to a place where we are not what we were before. Now, regarding salvation, 1 Peter teaches us that we are born again through the living and abiding word of God. That God uses the word as his instrumentality to, to show us the gospel, to open our eyes to the truth. In fact, Romans 10 says that faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of Christ. 
Now, regarding sanctification, this process of God being at work in us, both to will and do his good pleasure, to conform us to the image of of Jesus, God does that through his word. As Paul spoke to the Thessalonians, he commended them because when they received the word of God, they received it as it really is, the word of God, not the word of man. And then he says, that does its work in you who believe. God's word does a work in us. By it, we, we grow in respect to salvation. Like a, a, a nursing mother feeding and nourishing her baby. Romans 12.2 instructs us to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And God wants to do that as we continually expose ourselves to his word. Now there's a hard fact about gardening. Weeds grow back. Wouldn't it be nice if they didn't? You put out the roundup and they go away and then they come back the next month. If you don't stay on them, they come back. I was doing some yard work just yesterday and I saw some weeds. And so I pulled some of them. They come back. Weeds grow back. Whether we neglect them, whether we just turn away and involve with something else, when you come back, they're there again. It happens in our lives too. And continual reading and studying and thinking about, meditating on the Word of God clears our lives of the weeds that grow. Again and again, as we come back to to the Lord, God cleanses our souls. He brings us back to him. Interesting that this idea is the idea of repentance, coming back, returning. And what does lead us to repentance? God's kindness. There's another thing that God's word does. It makes wise the simple. I like to say I'm a pretty simple guy. But this is something different. This here is... It's the idea of, of making wise the simple. is the idea of uh, making us skilled in godly living. But the Hebrew word for simple literally has the idea of leaving the door open. So the simple leave the door open and don't know what to leave out. They don't know when to shut the door. So everything comes in. It's like flies coming in and ruining your fre- freshly cooked meal. We've had a lot of flies in our area recently with all the humidity. See, we need to know how to sort things out and and be discerning, especially when it comes to what we see and hear and read and, and watch and listen to and accept. And we do that by testing everything according to Scripture. It's interesting how we slip, too. Uh, when, uh, you know, it's interesting that when we, when we come to know Christ, we usually, we, we, we see our sins in a, in, a, in a different light. We see them as much worse than we did before, and rightly so. But something else happens as we live in the world, and I see this in my own life again and again. You hold to a certain conviction, but then life goes on, and life in the body, and life in the community, and life in society, and you start slipping in terms of your convictions, and you see it, it's a subtle, imperceptible shift, and you don't see it until you're farther down the road. 
But you start saying, well, it was a good movie. There were only, you know, 10 cuss words. They only took God's name in vain this many times. Or, hey, it's, and, you know, the, the, the waistline is only this low. The other ones are lower. Or whatever it is. I know it's hard to find clothes, ladies, especially high school girls. Uh, my daughter's going to high school this week, and we just can't find clothes that she feels comfortable wearing in school. But isn't it interesting that we say, well, it's just, it's only this bad. We say that with so many things. But see, God's word brings us back, and it makes us wise because it opens our eyes to the fact that there is another reality, something that will last forever. It's the word of God. It is applicable right now. It does speak to our situation today. Quickly, uh, going through the other descriptions for God's word, it rejoices the heart. It means that it satisfies our souls, that true joy comes from God and from what he says in the word. That God's word brings joy to believers. That we are transformed by it. That it eclipses all human pursuits. That as verse 10 says, they are more desirable than gold. They are sweeter than honey. God's word also enlightens the eyes. That means that it reveals God's glory. Reveals the truth about God, reveals the truth about us, reveals the truth about the world. And you know God's word is powerful. It can open spiritually blind eyes. Anyone in this room, anyone in this room who says, I'm a born-again believer, God opened your eyes. You were blind. Now you see. God's word also endures forever. It means it doesn't change. It stands, it lasts forever. Isaiah 40 in verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Two things will last forever, God's word and people. That's why we ought to know the word of God, and that's why we ought to know one another's names. By the way, I missed two of them today. Called two people by the wrong name. But that was okay, one of them called me by the wrong name too. All right. Jesus said in Matthew 24, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. What did Jesus answer to Satan? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's all right here. God's word is also righteous altogether. This is a tricky one, and, it was, and I've, I've got some ideas of what this means, but I'm, I'm, it's a tricky one. Righteous altogether. How is that something it does? Now, it means that it's true at, at face value, but here's how, here's how my best idea of how is that something the word of God does. It always acts in righteous ways. That it consistently does what is good and right and true. Now, this word, this, this phrase, righteous altogether, it has as an idea, the idea of justification, justifying, acquitting. Now, think about what it does. Look at verse 11. We see that it acts righteously in that it warns us. It averts us from danger. It tells us where there's a landmine. 
It tells us where the sin is and where the harmful effects are. See, John Bunyan said, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. We see in verse 11, too, that it rewards us. That it brings a benefit to those who who listen and obey. There's a proverb I can't get out of my head, and, and, good, and that's a good thing. Proverbs chapter uh, 13 and verse 13. In fact, go there. Proverbs 13, 13. The New American Standard Version says this. The one who despises the word will be in debt to it. But the one who fears the commandment will be rewarded. The one who despises the word, some translations say neglects the word. The one who neglects the word will be in debt to it. Meaning, if we don't know what the word says, we're still in debt to what it says. We don't know. See, ignorance doesn't get us off the hook. But on the other hand, when we listen, God rewards us. There is some, I don't know the exact reward, but there is a reward. There is the pleasure of God somehow comes toward us. Jesus said in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. See, those who follow and love Jesus love his word as well and hunger for his word. Now, I want you to watch something. It's a little video clip. I hope it worked. It was kind of tricky to, to get onto the computer. So uh, it's a 30-second video clip. Uh, it's, a, it's an award-winning 1998 Super Bowl commercial. This guy's eating pizza, and he's putting Tabasco sauce on it. He's on his third bottle of Tabasco sauce. That guy was so full of Tabasco sauce, it affected everything. (laughs) I know I don't need to make the point, but I will. (laughs) If we are filled with Scripture, it's going to spill out on everything we do. It will affect our families. It will affect our worldview. It will affect our neighbors. It will affect our conversations. It will affect our trip to the market. It will affect our vacation. It will affect our business dealings. It will affect our every decision. And I want us to be like that in regard to the word of God. My hope and prayer for Grace Church is that every believer, every believer will every day go to God in prayer and in the word that you'll get daily food from God, that you'll get your sus- we will get our sustenance, sustenance every day from God, that we won't run on fumes, that we won't run on what we learned 10 years ago or even two weeks ago, that we will get a fresh word from God every day. Do you realize you could take one verse for the rest of your life and not plumb the depths? 
That takes time, though. See, you don't get in shape after one workout or even after one workout a week. It will not happen. You don't learn to speak French after one lesson or even one lesson a week. It takes full immersion. It takes saturation. When God spoke to Joshua, he'd taken over from Moses, and Joshua's like, I can't do it. Good. He's in the right spot. But God said to him, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate upon it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. And he says, then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have success. And that term success literally means to act wisely. Not, we don't want to be in the word to gain more Bible knowledge. We want to be in the word to know Jesus, to know God. That everyone we come in contact with knows there's something different about us. Because the word of God dwells richly within us. Angela and I used to go to a restaurant called Lascari's in Whittier when we were first married. And I used to get this big plate of, of mussels loaded with garlic. I'm a, I'm a good Italian. Everything goes better with olive oil and garlic. And what would happen, though, is the next morning I would awake, and our entire room smelled like garlic. It was permeated. And it wasn't just that. Throughout the day, it would literally come out of my pores. I had eaten so much garlic. Wouldn't that be wonderful? The same could be said of us in regards to the Word of God. I'm going to call you to action today. And you may say, hey, you haven't known me long enough to do this. But I'm going to trust God with this one. I'm going to call you to something quiet, something unassuming, something humble. And it starts where you live. Starts at home. I'm, gonna, I'm calling us as a church for the next 31 days to be in the word and prayer every day with whoever we live with. You may say, um, I'm too busy. Probably three quarters of us at least are thinking that right now. How am I going to fit that into my schedule? Let me just say, how can you not? How can you not? You're too busy not to. And I know it's not easy. The funny thing is, for several years now, I've had this, this dream that every believer in the, in the world would go to God every day in prayer and in the Word. Just do the two simple things of the Christian life that God has given us, the two disciplines that God uses to deepen us and strengthen us. And, and do it in such a way that you go through concentric circles. You alone, and then you with who you live with, and then the other people that you know and, and are associated with. It, it's quite simple. So, what does God want of us as individuals, as families, as a church, as a community of believers? 
We'll know as we wait on him daily and, and together as we wait upon him. I've got something that's outside on the patio that I'm going to ask you, if you want to, you can pick up that could help you in this quest in the next 31 days. Uh, it's a little booklet called Looking to Jesus. Okay? It's, kind of, it's called the 31-Day Challenge. And it gives a very simple challenge to be in the Word with the members of your household for 31 days in a row. It has a little commitment card there if you want to do that. This is not a forced thing. This is totally open. I'm, I'm just asking if you would do this. Join me in this. Um, there's inside that, there's also a little trifold thing called daily family worship that talks about this. You know, picking a time and place and, 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 and making it an appointment in your schedule and, and just reading the word and praying. Don't make it too, don't make it brain surgery. Just keep it simple. Now, uh, I'm going to ask you to do something else too. I think I've got one more request in me. Please let me know what your intentions are today. And here's how. A lot of people have got emails. I'm going to ask you to send me an email and just say, we're in. We're in for the 31 days. Now, if, or send me a voicemail. Call the church office. Hit extension 3. Let me know. I would love to have 200 voices and emails when I come into the office this week. That would be good. Um, it's not easy. But can you think of any worthwhile thing in life that is easy? Now, I want to close up Psalm 19, and then we also will have the privilege of, of partaking of the bread and the cup today. But Psalm 19 ends on a very intensely personal note. It ends with a heartfelt prayer in verses 12 through 14. David is praying for forgiveness of sin and for to be kept from sinning. And David's heart is so tender towards God. He, he is concerned with his errors. It says, uh, who can discern his errors? Those are the things that we do that are wrong, that are innocently done. We're not realizing it. He was concerned with, with his hidden faults, things that are unknowing to us but revealed by God. And he was concerned with the willful sins, the things we do on purpose. The presumptuous sins. And he's saying, God, keep me from these. I don't want to do that. And he addressed God as his rock and his redeemer. He, he knew him in a very real way as such. He, he knew how much he was loved. And I hope you too know how dearly, how dearly you are loved by God. Really, if you take anything else away today, it's that God loves me more than I could ever imagine. He is our rock. He is our stability in an unsure world. He is our redeemer, the one who buys us back from sin's penalty. And this, this points us to Jesus. Going back to verse 9, where I alluded to this idea of, of justification, how righteous altogether could could point to this idea of justification. That's how Scripture justifies us. They lead us, the Scriptures lead us to the one who is our only deliverer from sin. Jesus. And Jesus is the Word. In Revelation 19.13, we read, His name is called the Word of God. 
Interestingly, John was on the Isle of Patmos in the book of Revelation for two reasons, he says, in verse 9 of chapter 1 of Revelation. He was on the island because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. You see, in John 1.1, we read, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All things came into being through Him. You go down to verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus. Jesus, the one who is altogether righteous. Our justifier. That God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. And as we come face to face with the word, we see our sin. But we also see the love of God. And the glory of God. Seen in the face of Christ. So that beloved prodigals like us find immense pardon and acquittal. And relief. Which leads us to our celebration of the bread and the cup this morning. Where we remember once again. Jesus' sacrifice for us. In our place on the cross.